speaking uh, from the half Torah portion of our uh, weekly reading. And it starts off with verse 27. Why do you complain, Yaakov, and why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from Adonai? My rights are ignored by God. That's from the complete Jewish Bible. Stern is one of the few, actually the only one that I found, that translated uh, the simple verb for say as complain. Uh, I'm not sure that it was as much a complaint, complaint on the part of the children of Israel as it was really a cry of their heart, uh, trying to comprehend what was going on in their lives. Obviously, they were there in Babylon. They were in exile. We know this is uh, uh, the time of uh, Yeshiyahu's prophesying and writing. Uh, things were not looking too good for them. We know they were there because of their actions. Uh, in other words, they disobeyed God, and God said in, in disobedience, this is what's going to happen to you. Yet they knew the promises that God had spoken through Yeshiyahu and through all of the other prophets and down through the ages that, yes, that even to Moshe, he says, this is going to happen, but I'm going to return and I'm going to bring back. So even though they knew that, that God was uh, uh, behind this and it was their own actions that put them there, they also knew that God had promised restoration and redemption. Yet when they looked around them, they saw nothing that resembled that. Their hearts were probably overwhelmed with despair and discouragement. And this was not the first time, nor would it be the last time for our Jewish people that they felt this. Remember the, the verse in Shemot, chapter 3, where we are in Egypt at this time, and we're under slavery, and this is not because of anything we have done. And it says that sometime during those many years, the years between when Yosef died and Moshe comes uh, into the scene, the king of Egypt died. But the people of Israel still groaned, it says, under the yoke of slavery, and they cried out. And I believe this is what is happening here at Babylon at this time. They were crying out, where are you, God? You promised to restore us. You said our sins are forgiven and you would return us to the land and you will fulfill your promises for us. I believe that their hearts were saying, why don't you see what's happening to our lives? Why are you ignoring us? These were the questions that they were asking Adonai. And sometimes, like Israel, we might find ourselves in desperate situations. Maybe like Israel, we've gotten ourselves into these situations because we, like they, ignored some of the principles of God's word. Or as when Israel was in Egypt, we find ourselves in these circumstances not because we have done anything wrong, but simply because. Because problems occur to everyone, because we live in a fallen world, because there's an enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy the life of God and his promises in our lives. So today, maybe you're experiencing financial difficulties. Maybe it was a bad report from the doctor. Maybe your relationships are strained. Perhaps you feel beaten and broken by all that life has thrown your way recently. Maybe you feel like you just cannot continue to fight the battle that you're facing. And it is so easy at moments like this to feel abandoned and forgotten. Our emotions rise up and overpower our faith in the truth of Adonai's word. Like Israel, we can cry out in our spirits, Where are you, God? When will you show up? Have you forgotten us? Are you ignoring our pain? Can't you see? Don't you hear my prayers? And it is in moments like this, I believe Adonai speaks a simple but powerful message. And it's the title of the sermon this morning is, You Are Not Forgotten. I have preached from this passage on many occasions because it was my father's favorite verse. The last verse, 31 of chapter 40. His birthday is coming up in a few weeks. And as I've shared in other messages on this passage, I find it interesting that if my father had ever become a bar mitzvah, this would have been his Haftor portion. And so it, to me, that's just amazing. But I want to encourage us what God is trying to speak to us through this Haftorah passage this morning. Again, it could all be summed up in this phrase, you are not forgotten. But let's look more specifically. First of all, he says he's going to give strength to the weary. Adonai gives an encouraging word and promise to all who feel abandoned and weak and as if you cannot go on. 
we look at the rest of chapter 40, verses 28 through 31, which we read in our Torah service. Haven't you known, haven't you heard, that the everlasting God, Adonai, the creator of the ends of earth, does not grow tired or weary? His understanding cannot be fathomed. He invigorates the exhausted. He gives strength to the powerless. Young men may grow tired and weary, and even the fittest may stumble and fall. But those who wait, who hope in Adonai, will renew their strength. They will soar aloft as with eagles' wings. When they are running, they won't grow weary, and when they are walking, they won't grow tired. So what is God speaking to us when he's talking to us that he is going to give strength to those who are weary? The first thing he's telling us is to refocus on who he is. We focus on who he is. And this is what he's trying to get Israel to do, even though they're feeling abandoned and, and uh, like nothing is going right in their life and they're looking for the promises to be fulfilled and they're not. God says, focus, refocus your mind and your heart and your spirits on who I am. Who is he? First of all, he's the everlasting God, he says. He always was and always will be. He always existed before time. No one created him. He is because he is. That's who is speaking to Israel, and that's who is speaking to us. Who can stand before him? Who can compare to him? No one. Nothing on this earth, nothing in the heavens above or the earth below. We say that in the Elenu prayer. There is no one who can stand before God. And God speaks to Israel, and he speaks to you and me this morning in our situation and circumstance, and he says, you know, you need to refocus on who I am. I am the everlasting God. I am all-powerful. I am all-knowing, and you need to focus on that. The next thing he says about who he is, he says, I am the creator of the ends of the earth. Rabbi Michael, I think, recently talked about uh, God creating bara. The Hebrew word used there is only used of God. It means he created something out of nothing. And we talked about this in our household recently, and Abigail, as I'm homeschooling and things, we've talked about this, and she says it's amazing because no one today can create something out of nothing. When people create things, they take something that already exists and makes it into something new. But God created something out of nothing. And he says, I want you to focus on who I am. Understand my power and my might. I took nothing and I created the entire universe. And he relates to this in verse 12 of our, uh, our chapter 40. He said, his power was demonstrated at creation, and he asked these rhetorical questions, again, to get the Jewish people and to get you and me to think about who he is. He says, who has counted the handfuls of water in the seas or measured off the sky with a ruler, gauged how much dust there is on the earth or weighed the mountains on scales or the hills in the balance? Who has? He has. Nobody else has. He says, who has done this? I have. I, I've weighed the dust. I've counted the stars in the sky. I know every hair that is on your head. Think about who I am, he's saying, in the midst of your situation. Then he says, focus on who I am. Not only am I the everlasting God, not only am I the creator of the entire universe, but I never grow tired. I would like that characteristic, God. Made in his image, it's like, okay, maybe you can infuse that to us, right, today and in our life. But he never grows tired. Think about it. He doesn't have to regain strength before he can move and act on our behalf. Now, the best of us, and I think I have a lot of stamina and energy, and as long as I don't sit down, I can keep going and going and going. The minute I sit down after a long day, though I'm out, that's my family, you know, uh, they put on a movie and I'll wake up in the last five minutes and say what happened, you know, because I have fallen asleep. Uh, but uh, no matter how much strength and energy we have, we have to rest. We do grow tired and we have to replenish ourselves. But God is not like that. He's not sitting in his throne in heaven, wringing his hands about what's happening in your life or mine or in the world. He's not saying, this is too, not, too much for me to handle. He's not saying, I need a break. I need to regroup. He hasn't exhausted himself trying to take care of the world and your needs and my needs. He never grows tired. Never, ever grows tired. Refocus on who I am, he says. 
I'm the everlasting God. I'm the creator of the heavens and the earth, and I never, ever grow tired. I'm not worn out. And the last thing he says in this area is, you can never understand my thoughts. And he weaves this throughout in the book of Isaiah chapter 55. He says, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways. And we need to grasp hold of that in the midst of our circumstances and situations. And for Israel here, and even today, this passage so applies. We know this is a, is a word specifically to Israel, but we're pulling out the spiritual principles to apply to our life. But as he said to Israel there in Babylon exile, and even today, he says to Israel, you know what? I, my thoughts and my ways are greater and beyond yours. And you have to trust his thoughts and his ways and his processes in your life and in what's happening in the world today. So God says, I'm going to give strength to the weary. The first thing to how he's going to do that is to help us to refocus on who he is. And the second thing that he does is he wants to encourage us to understand what he does, who he is, and then his mighty deeds. The first thing he says is he invigorates the exhausted. He gives them strength. The Hebrew word here is koak. And this word has several connotations that I think are important for us to understand in the context of what Adonai is trying to encourage us today. At the root meaning, it's just the physical strength. Uh, And sometimes that's just what we need is physical strength, right? To get up, to go to work, to do the things we need to do. But it has many, many more uh, nuances of meaning. It also has the connotation of the ability to endure. The ability to endure. And I think that's what he was saying to Israel. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you the ability to endure in this situation and circumstance that you are in. You see, Adonai wants to infuse us with that same strength, that endurance that will help us to stay the course and not give up in the middle of a difficult season that we might find ourselves in. The Hebrew word for strength here also means the capacity to produce fruit. And I thought that was so interesting because this also is a theme that is woven throughout the book of Yeshiahu. Even in last week's Haftorah, which I'll refer to a couple times today, we were encouraged to sing even in our barrenness because the fruit was going to come. And finally, it denotes this word koach, the general ability to cope with situations. So when you hear this and God says, understand what I do, I give strength to the weary. He says, I'm giving you the ability to endure, yes, in difficult situations and in dark situations where you don't understand what's going on. He says, I am giving you the ability to be fruitful in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the dark situation. He says, I am the God who who infuses you with the ability to cope even if it's something that you don't understand what is going on. Understand who I am, he says. And then he, not only does he say that he invigorates the exhausted, but he gives strength to the powerless. And literally, again, these are different words used here, but literally he's saying to those who have no might, those who have no energy, those who are worn out, he says, I give strength. And this verb that is used here in Yeshiahu is also used in Shemot 1.7, where it says the descendants of Israel were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew very powerful. And the connotation of the word used here for strength is a force that has the potency to accomplish its intended purpose. In other words, when God says that I am giving you who are tired and powerless strength, he says, I am giving you the ability to accomplish the intended purpose that I have for your life. I want to encourage you, as I have in many occasions, that Adonai has a purpose and a destiny for each one of us and for this congregation, and he wants to infuse all of us with his strength this morning 
to accomplish that purpose. And his word to us is, do not abort the mission, stay the course. So God encourages us. I'm going to give strength to the weary. How? First of all, refocus on who he is. Secondly, understand what he does and how he moves. And what he has done in the past, he will do today in your situation and in your life. And the third thing we see in these verses here, before we go into chapter 41, is the way he's going to help us and to strengthen us is to encourage us It's up to us, though, but he is encouraging us to exchange our strength for his strength. I love the imagery of verse 31. This was my father's favorite verse. It's on his tombstone there. That was a verse we put on there when he passed away years ago. And I probably share this every time I speak about this verse because this imagery is so powerful. And what Adonai is telling us in this verse is that we must exchange our strength for for his We will never, ever make it through the storms of life. We will never make it through the difficult circumstances that we are in, through the darkness of the night, through the hellish waters surrounding us, if we try to do it in our own strength. However, if you and I let go and allow his strength to prevail, we will be carried to the other side of the storm. I share this illustration all the time, but I got a copy of the book, an e-book of Jamie Buckingham's book, Where Eagles Soar. Someone gave this to me years ago when I was uh, in Israel, and that book so impacted me, and it opens up with this imagery here. Uh, He was uh, in the Sinai on a trip, and this is how the first chapter of this book opens up to explain what God is talking about here in Isaiah 40, 31. Watch, the eagle, our Israeli guide said, pointing high above the Sinai desert at the silent figure soaring close to the mountains. He locks his wings, picks the thermals, and rides the breath, the ruach of God, above the storm. Jamie says, I was on a research trip in the Sinai Peninsula Peninsula, collecting material for a book on the wilderness experience. For seven days, our small group of men had been trekking through the desert sand, making our way through the awesome wadis and climbing the rugged stone mountains in the footstep of Moses. Now we had reached Jebel Musa, the mountain of Moses, and struggling in the darkness, we had climbed the backside of Mount Sinai to reach the summit by dawn. Now we were on our descent, following the steep path downward towards uh, St. Catherine's Monastery, nestled far below against the base of the huge mountain. It was then that we spotted the eagle. A huge storm, one of those rare phenomena of the desert, had built up over the gulf and was now moving inland. The mighty thunderheads towered around 30,000 feet. It was awesome to behold as it moved to the south of us across the triangular-shaped peninsula towards Saudi Arabia where it would doubtless dissipate. But it was the eagle that drew the attention of our guide. We were near the summit of the 7,600-foot mountain and the eagle was already 10,000 feet above us. And climbing, that's what the prophet meant when he said God's people would mount up with wings as eagle, the tough, dark-skinned Israeli said as he squatted on the pathway, waiting for the rest of the men to catch up. I squatted down beside him, Bedouin fashion, and together we watched the eagle confront the massive storm clouds. How high will he go, I asked. Over and around the storm, perhaps 15, 20,000 feet. He is now beyond his control. He locks his wings here, and he pointed to his shoulders, and he rides the wind of God. He was but a tiny dot against the onrushing storm, and then he disappeared altogether. He fears nothing, the guide said as he rose to greet the other men coming down the steep. Even though we no longer see him, he can see us. He can see for 50 miles. He will go so high he may be covered with frost, his head, his wings, everything. Then he descends on the backside of the storm and the frost melts. Who knows if it were not for the ice, he may just be keep going on, touch God and never come down. The imagery behind If we wait upon the Lord, we will mount up with wings as eagle. It means we exchange our strength for him. That storm that was coming in that day, there is no way that eagle could make it through the storm on his own. But he knew what to do. He knew he had to ride the Ruach, the wind of God. 
He, God wants to encourage us this morning. No matter what storm you may find yourself in, no matter what difficult situation you may be facing, you need to exchange your strength for his. Your strength will not get you through it. Just like that eagle would never have made it through that 30,000-foot storm rolling in, your strength will not get you through the situation you're, face, you're facing right now. But the wind of God, the Ruach, the Spirit of God will take you through the storm to the other side. And on that other side is safety, but only if you allow the wind to come and to pick you up. And that means you're no longer in control. We don't like that, though. We like being in control. But that eagle locked his wings, and there was nothing he could do. Nothing he could do. His wings were locked. As the guide shared, they would sometimes get ice on him because he went so high. He was not in control. God was. God was. And for you and I, he encourages us this morning to exchange our strength for his. We were sharing this in the youth uh, last week, you know, about making choices. And we decided to wear our CT bracelets again to remind us to make good choices. I said, you know, God talks about making choices often in the scriptures, you know, uh, with Moshe and then with uh, Yehoshua. He says to the children of Israel, I put before you life and death. And just in case they don't get what they should choose, he says, choose life, right? Same thing today. God says, if you wait on me, if you let go of your strength and allow my strength to come underneath you, my ruach to lift you up and to carry you over, you will make it through the storm. If you try to fight the wind of God, if you try to do it on your own, that eagle would have lost his life. And so will we. So God wants to encourage us today that he wants to give strength to the weary. He wants us to ride his winds through the storms of lives. So I encourage you, lock your wings. And God says, lock your wings and take my strength to help you through. The second thing in the Torah Parsha that God wants to encourage us this morning when we have these same thoughts that we are forgotten, just like Israel did, is that he's going to confront our enemy. Look at chapter 41, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read these verses from the message translation because it's just a little easier to understand what's going on. And the message translation is just a modern paraphrase of the scriptures. So listen to this or follow along on the, the PowerPoint there. Quiet down, far-flung ocean islands. Listen. Sit down and rest, everyone. Recover your strength. Gather around me. Say what's on your heart. Together, let's decide what's right. Who's got things rolling here? Got this champion from the east on the move. Who recruited him for this job? Then rounded up and corralled the nation so that he could run roughshod over kings. He's often running, pulverizing nations into dust, leaving only stubble and chaff in his wake. He chases them and comes through unscathed, his feet scarcely, scarcely touching the path. Who did this? Who made it happen? Who always gets things started? I did. God. I'm first on the scene, and I'm also the last to leave. Far-flung ocean islands see it in panic. The ends of the earth are shaken. Fearfully, they huddle together. They try to help each other out, making up stories in the dock. The God makers in the workshops go into overtime production, crafting new models of no gods. He's talking about the idol makers here. Urging one another, good job, great design, pounding in nails at the base so that things won't tip over. So what is God saying here? He's saying that in these verses that they're speak, it's speaking of a deliverer that Adonai was sending to save and deliver Israel from Babylon captivity. And as I said earlier, to me, this passage is so appropriate and encouraging words for the nation of Israel, our Jewish people today, as so much is going on in the land with all of these recent random acts of violence and stabbing of innocent people. And in context, these verses are referring to Cyrus, king of Persia, who Adonai was going to use to rebuild Jerusalem and to set things back in order for the Jewish people. And God has summoned the nations to hear 
uh, to bear witness to the deliverer he was going to send. These are the nations who mocked Israel, who taunted her with lies that Adonai had forgotten and abandoned her. And these were the people who said that the Jewish people would never, ever rebuild Jerusalem again. Throughout the book of Isaiah, we see this theme as well, this theme of encouragement, this theme of of God standing up to the enemies of Israel because the enemies of Israel often mocked her, ridiculed her, insulted her, saying that nothing good will ever happen to you. Insults that were hurled to bring humiliation and shame to them. But God wanted them to know that he had prepared a deliverer that was about to break onto the scene. He wanted the nations to know this. you got to hear what God is saying. He's speaking to the children of Israel, but he's also confronting the nations, the enemies around them. And he wanted them to know that he had prepared a deliverer, and they were going to have to stand and watch and see what this deliverer did. For us, what does this spiritual principle speak of? We all know that we have an enemy of our soul. This enemy is not flesh and blood, even though flesh and blood often cooperate with him. The nations that rose against the Jewish people in the scripture and the nations and the people that are rising against her today are but puppets in the hands of Hasatan to do his bidding to wreak havoc and to bring destruction. Do you understand that? It's Hasatan. He is the worker of evil. He is the one who inspires and infuses people with this ideology that is bent on destruct, uh, destruction and destroying the Jewish people in Israel. And he's the same one who comes to bring destruction into your life and to mine. And these nations, as we read at the, the last part of those verses, they turned to their handmade gods and they tried to encourage each other what they were doing. Why? Because they see Cyrus coming and they see what he is doing, as the passage so clearly says. You know, he's tearing that, you know, he's just, uh, you know, laying down everything in front of him. He's just coming through and destroying everything in his path. So the nations are seeing and observing this, and what is their reaction? Let's make some more gods so that these gods can help us. So they're in there, and, and they're encouraging one another. Oh, that's a good job. That's a good design. Oh, let's put a few more nails so this god won't topple over. This is the god that's supposed to deliver them from Cyrus. But their idols were worthless. And would do nothing to deliver them from the hand of Almighty God. So what does Adonai say to your enemy, to my enemy, to the enemy of the body of Messiah today? The first thing he says, I have not abandoned my people. When we look at Israel today, it is not encouraging to see the things that are happening. As my husband shared on Thursday night, we received a call on the way into the office on Thursday from Kokeb. Many of you know him. He's one of the emissaries that we support, an Ethiopian Jewish believer uh, that God brought out of Ethiopia and just a, a miraculous story of walking through the desert. And he shared that when he's spoken here before. But he and his wife uh, have moved to Israel. And he's saying, you know, it is very tense here, uh, Carol. He says, it is it's very, very tense here. And we also got an e- email from Avi Mizraki, and we support him and Chaya there in Tel Aviv, uh, And he also said the same thing. It is very, very difficult right now because these are such random acts of violence and you just don't know. You get on the bus and you don't know what someone is is going to do. But God says, I have not abandoned my people. He has not abandoned. He has not forgotten Israel. And I have set my plan in motion to bring deliverance. And it's the same thing that he says to us today. And for the Jewish people here in Babylon uh, captivity, it was a century before Cyrus was born that Adonai used Yeshiahu to prophesize of his coming. And we know his, historically that Cyrus came and destroyed the Babylonians, which led to the release of the Jewish people, their returning to the land, and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And God encourages us today with that same message, I have not abandoned you, and I have set in motion my plan for your life. And we have to grab hold of that truth. And then the second thing he says, well, he's really speaking this to the enemies. He's going to speak to the people of God next. But he's saying to the enemy, I want you to know I have not abandoned my people. 
I have set my motion and plan, and you're going to watch and see the deliverance that I'm going to do on behalf of my people. That's what Adonai is saying to the enemy of your soul and my soul, which is who? Hasatan. Hasatan wants to taunt us. God is not for you. He's forgotten you. He's left you all alone. And God says to Hasatan, I have not forgotten my people. I have not abandoned them. And you're going to stand and watch what I'm going to do on their behalf. And the second thing he says to the enemy of Israel, all of your lies will be exposed and come to no good. It is interesting. They say, it says there in the uh, chapter 41, they made up stories in the dark. Because they're trying to encourage one another. God says, this is going to happen. And, and nations are going to be laid low by this deliverer that I'm going to send. So they made up stories in the dark. Stories to encourage one another. Stories to say, oh, we're, we're, to encourage each other to be strong. Come on, we're going to make it through, through this. The enemy is very good at lying. The scripture tells us that he is the father of lies. But God is greater than any lie of hell. Amen. And he says to the enemy of our souls, your lies will be exposed and they will come to no good. Our enemy taunts us. He accuses us. He insults us. And he tries to humiliate us. He wants us to believe his lies. But God has something to say about that. And he speaks directly to our enemy on our behalf. Look back in Shemot, Exodus chapter 23, 22. And Adonai promised the Jewish people, and it's a promise that can be applied to your life and mine as well today. He says, I will be an enemy to your enemies. I will fight for those who fight you. Friends, there's no one better to fight your battle than God Almighty. That's why he started off this passage by saying, refocus on who I am. And now as he's coming down to the end, he's saying to our enemies, but in our hearing so we can hear it, I am going to fight the battles of my people. And there's no one better than God to fight on your behalf. <clears throat> we are told over and over again throughout scriptures to stand still and see the deliverance that God will bring. We shared recently in the last couple of months a message entitled, When God Shows Up. When God shows up, everything changes. And this is basically what he's saying in this passage when Israel says, Why have you forgotten me? Where are you at, God? My rights are abandoned. They have been ignored. God says, I'm showing up on the scene. And when God shows up, everything changes. And he's telling the enemies of Israel and he's telling our enemy, I am here and you had better watch out. And the last part of this Haftorah is found in Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 16. And what God encourages us who feels that we have been forgotten is that he will lead us to victory. Follow along as we read these verses. But you, Yisrael, my servant, Yaakov, whom I have chosen, descendants of Abraham, my friend, I have taken you from the ends of the earth, summoned you from its most distant parts, and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you, not rejected you. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be distressed, for I am your God. I give you strength. I give you help. I support you with my victorious right hand. All those who were angry with you will be disgraced, put to shame. Those who fought against you will be destroyed, brought to nothing. You will seek them, but not find them. Those who contended with you, yes, those who made war with you will be brought to nothing, nothing at all. For I, Adonai your God, say to you, as I hold your right hand, have no fear, I will help you. Have no fear, Yaakov, you worm, you men of Israel. I will help you, says Adonai, your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. I will make you into a threshing sledge, new with sharp pointed teeth, to thresh the mountains and crush them to dust, to reduce the hills to shaft. And as you fan them, the wind will carry them off, and the whirlwind will scatter them. Then you will rejoice in Adonai. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. See, God gives reassurance of his purposes and plans for the nation of Israel and for our lives. 
We have said it often, but the fact that the modern nation of Israel exists should be such an encouragement to each one of us that God is able and that God does keep his promises. Nothing is too difficult for him. He brought victory to ancient Israel. He will bring victory to modern-day Israel, and he will bring victory to you and to me in the midst of our situations. And I just want to bullet point some of the things from these verses that God is trying to encourage us as he's saying, I am going to lead you into victory. The first thing he says in verse 8, you are chosen. This is such an important concept to understand. He says, I have chosen you. I have a purpose and I have a plan for your life. I have a destiny for you to fulfill. Twice Adonai says this. Twice he says this. He wanted Israel and he wants you and me to understand this truth. This Hebrew word, Bechar, always involved, and I think this is so important to grab hold of, it always involved a careful, thought-out choice. I mean, it's a common word used in modern Hebrew, but when you look back and you research how it was used in the Hebrew scriptures and in the cognitive languages of the ancient world, it always involved a careful, thought-out choice. So what does that tell you and me? Your place in life is not a random accident. It's not just happenstance. Your being here this morning or you're listening to the podcast on the internet is not just by chance. God says, I have chosen you. I gave careful thought to my choice. And another interesting connotation of this Hebrew word that when it is used of Adonai choosing, and most of the times it is used of him, there are a few cases where it's not, it is used to express a choosing that has ultimate and eternal significance. Now, I'm going to tell you, please get this message and listen to it, or listen to it on the podcast. You don't have to buy a message, because I don't think you're going to grasp the enormity of what I just said about this word, some of these Hebrew words here, which I don't often go into the Hebrew words, but I just felt to look at these, this, this message. When he says that I have chosen you, you know, it means that he gave much thought to it. The second thing is that his choosing you had eternal redemptive value to it. So no wonder hell wants to come against God's purpose and plans in your life. Because he knows that God looked down at you, he looked down at me, he looked down at this congregation, and he said, I, and he gave much thought to it. Grab, grab hold of it. And he says, okay, these are the people for this purpose and this destiny. This is the individual that's going to fulfill this plan and this purpose in this generation. And that plan and purpose has eternal value to it. Selah. Selah, Selah. Meditate on that when you hear this message again. Think of it in context because Adonai was first speaking this to Israel. So what was he saying? There was eternal significance to the fact that he chose Israel. We get that as a Messianic Jewish congregation. But hearing it in this way, it just, to me, it just was like a light bulb going off. I chose Israel. There's an eternal significance to my choosing. And we know that that choosing was to bring the Messiah, who was not just to be for the people of Israel, but also to be a light to the nation so that all the nations could come to faith in the one God of Israel. How powerful that is. So Adonai chose Israel with an eternal significance that through Israel, the Messiah would come and provide atonement for all mankind. But as I said, these principles can be applied to our lives personally as well. God's choosing of us has eternal significance attached to it. So as I said, that's why the enemy comes so hard, because he wants you to quit. He wants you to quit so that your destiny will not be fulfilled. And I'm here to tell you, and some of you need to, to get back into the, into the battle and get back into the game. 
because you have listened to the lies of hell. And God is saying to you today, I have chosen you. I have a divine purpose for your life. And it's time to stop sitting on the sidelines and get back into the game and get involved in the destiny and calling that I have on your life because there is eternal, eternal significance to your place in the kingdom of God and to your place on this earth. Where you, where you work, nothing, again, is by random or accident. Everything has eternal significance to it. And finally, on this, this point of the choosing, <clears throat> which is very encouraging also, when the connotation behind this word of God choosing has nothing to do with how great you and I are, has nothing to do with our gifts or talents. The choosing has all to do about his grace and his mercy and his love. Whew. Wow, that's a relief. In other words, I don't have to be great. I don't have to have all these talents and things so that God can choose me. No, no, no. See, God doesn't choose. We, and we know this from the story of King David being chosen. God does not look at what man looks at. He doesn't choose by the way man chooses. So God looks in your heart and your life. God has equipped you and put in you, and he will develop in you as you go through life the things that you will need to fulfill the destiny that he has for you. So that's just one. I have a lot more to go through. Whew. The second thing is you are not rejected. Turn to your neighbor and say that. You are not rejected. I'm going to say it a little stronger. You are not rejected. Hell uh, repeats this lie over and over and over again in our minds that we come to believe it. And God said to Israel, who was definitely feeling that, Israel who may feel it today because of everything that is going on, and he says it to you and I who may be feeling it because of circumstances we are facing, he says, I have not rejected you. Quite the opposite here. It starts out in Hebrew, Asher hekezakatika, chazak, chazak, chazak strength, strength, strength. He says, I have taken you out. That's the, how that word is translated. I have taken you out. But it's not just a taking out. It means with strength, with his righteous right hand, he has pulled us out. He has pulled us out of darkness into his wonderful kingdom of light for a purpose and a plan and a destiny. He says, I have not rejected you. And it is his power that gives us purpose and sets our destiny in motion. And along with that saying, you know, it's opposite. Don't listen to the lies of hell that say, I have rejected you. I have called you out. He also says, I called you by name. I have chosen you for this purpose, my plans for your life, and I have not rejected you. So God wants to encourage us today with these words. So he says, I'm going to lead you to victory, but you need to understand that you are chosen and you need to understand that I have not rejected you. The next thing he tells us is do not be afraid. Over and over, Adonai encouraged Israel so many times through the book of Isaiah. You can read this. Fear not, Israel. Do not be afraid, uh, Jacob. And God encourages us today to not be afraid. Why? Because fear is a powerful emotion. It will try to grip your heart and it will immobilize you. It will manipulate your feelings and your emotions and your thoughts. Fear says you cannot do it. Fear says your circumstances will never change. Fear says you were all alone. Fear says God has forgotten you. But the opposite of fear is faith. Trust in who God is. Faith says I can do all things through Messiah. Faith says suddenly my miracle will come and everything will change. Faith says God promised he would never leave me. Faith says I am not forgotten. So God encourages us, do not be afraid. Instead, trust and have faith in me. Because he goes on to say in verse 13, and he repeats this several times in this passage, I will help you. In other words, you don't have to do this alone. I, he is our help. He walks with us as we go through difficult times. He gives courage. He says, I am with you. And emphasis in the Hebrew without going into the whole grammatical thing is on that with you. I am with you. Put your name there. I am with you, he says. 
Often in the Hebrew scripture, that Hebrew word there, azar, is linked to divine support militarily. And haven't we seen that throughout the history of Israel? As we've heard story after story of one miraculous deliverance in the middle of a war. But for us, it translates to walking in victory and defeating our enemies. When God says, I'm going to help you, I'm going to help you, I'm going to lead you to victory over your enemies. Just a couple more. I will bring to nothing those who have tended against you. We already saw how he spoke to the enemies of Israel. Now he's encouraging Israel herself. I want you to know those taunts have not fallen on deaf ears. I have heard what the enemy has said in your hearing. Think about it. There's so many times where this happened. It just came to my mind, the whole story of Hezekiah and Sennacherib. When Sennacherib came, right, and he sends his uh, head honchos to go there to the wall, and he starts speaking in Hebrew, and he says to the children of Israel, why are you listening to your king Hezekiah? Do you really think that your God is going to save you, the God whose idols you all tore down because Hezekiah did a great reform and tore down all the false idols? Has any God of the nations ever been able to stop my master? And the answer was no up to that point. Sennacherib was very powerful. And he did destroy nation after nation. And so the enemy comes taunting these things, you know, and, and the leaders who are there on the wall says to this uh, uh man, don't speak in Hebrew because he's speaking in Hebrew because, you know, the people will panic. And, and he says, shouldn't the people know what Hezekiah is getting them into? Where is your God? He will not be able to deliver. And that's just one instance of when the enemy taunted Israel. Another instance of this comes to mind. Think about Nehemiah, also there to build the wall. And what did Sanballat and Tobiah come and do? Oh, what are you doing? Mount nothing. Look at that. It's just rubble. You're never going to succeed in doing this. And over and over again, the enemy taunts us with his lies, trying to humiliate us, trying to get us to stop what we're doing because he knows once again, that we have been chosen, that there's divine purpose and eternal significance to our place in the kingdom of God and in our workplace, in our home, and where he has placed us. We know that Hasatan is not just the father of lies, but he's also known as the accuser of the Kiddushim. And God is saying to the children of Israel, and he's saying to us today, that all of the accusations of hell will fall to the ground. And we were encouraged again about this in last week's Haftorah, and Rena shared in her Devar Torah from Yeshiahu, Isaiah 54. Any alliance that forms against you will not be my doing. Whoever tries to form such an alliance will fall because of you. Adonai says, it is I who created the craftsman who blows on the coals and forges weapons suited to their purpose. I also created this destroyer to wreak havoc. No weapon made will prevail against you. In court, you will refute every accusation. The servants of Adonai will inherit all this because this is the reward for their righteousness, which is from me, says Adonai. God is reiterating this principle over and over again to the children of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. It is a word that is just as relevant and real for us today here in 2015 in whatever situation and circumstance you may be facing. God says, I will bring to nothing those who have contended against you. All the accusations of hell will fall to the ground. Two more things. Number Next to last thing, I will fulfill my promise for your life. We know from the scriptures that not one of Adonai's good promises have ever failed. And I want to encourage you today, he's not going to start failing now. He, we, again, we focus on who he is. He's the everlasting God, always was, always will be. He never, ever changes. And he will not start, start now to fail in fulfilling his word. So I don't care how long you've been waiting, as we were encouraged through the uh, New Covenant reading today from Romans 4 about Abraham. He faced the fact that his body was dead. This is another one of my favorite passages to preach on. 
knowing that he was 100 years old, and he looked at his wife, Sarah, and said, you know, her body ain't any better than mine. But he did not waver in doubt and unbelief. But he trusted God, knowing that the God he trusted was able to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And God told Abraham, you and Sarah will have a son, and that son, from that son will come your descendants, who will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And God will fulfill his promises in your life. So it doesn't matter how bleak your situation may look. It doesn't matter what the naysayers are saying. God always, 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 always fulfills his word. And I want to encourage you once again to remember that we are in a year of Yeovil, the Jubilee year. Go back to the podcast, listen to that message again to encourage you. The year of Jubilee is a year of restoration. It's a year of breakthrough. It's a year of release. And God wants you and I to know that he will fulfill his promises in our lives. And the last thing, which is connected to Jubilee as well, in verse 16 he says, you will walk in joy. All of the shame and the humiliation will be removed. All sadness and brokenness will be gone. And as one writer put it, joy as ever is the symbol of entering freely into what the Lord has done. And I want to declare to you that shouts of joy and victory will resound in your tents. So hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. He says, I have not forgotten you. Now you need to rise up and walk forward into your destiny with him. Let's pray. Adonai, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, God, that, uh, that you always have a word to encourage, to challenge, and to call us to come deeper in you. And so I thank you, Lord, for this word that you have given us today a word to remind us that no matter what the enemy says, that no matter what the circumstances look like in the natural, that you have indeed not forgotten us. And Lord, that you are working and moving in our situation, circumstances, even when we cannot see them, uh, because you will always fulfill your plans and purposes uh, in our lives, God. I thank you that you hear uh, the taunts of the enemy. I thank you that you hear the lies of hell that are seeking to destroy and to distract and to discourage. And today, God, we choose to hear your words instead of listening to the, the lies of hell. We choose to hear your words, God. And we thank you, Lord, for your promise of victory in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Right now, Rabbi Michael is going to begin to minister uh, uh, in music and song and uh, we have uh, some time here in Hebrew classes to go from 2 to 3 it's not even 1 o'clock yet so I'm going to ask Myrna and Gary uh, Adeline and Rena to come join me uh, as we just uh, make ourselves available if you would like anyone to agree with you in prayer uh, maybe you are in one of those situations where you are feeling forgotten and we again just want to be a point of agreement with you it's not us, it's him, God uh, but we just want to come in agreement with you for, for those situations and circumstances you're facing. And then in a few minutes, I'll come up and officially close with the ironic benediction. Again, Hebrew classes from 2 to 3 and prayer from 3 to 4 today. We hope that you'll be a part of all that is happening. So I encourage you to come on down if you would like prayer. And, uh, and then we'll come back and close officially with the ironic benediction. Have a 